You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Welcome to Unemployed Workers Fight Back. Join your hosts, Anne and Kevin, that's me, the second and fourth Friday of each month on The Sewer Show, between 5.30 and 6.30pm, here on 3CR Community Radio. This is a show where we explore macroeconomic solutions for the unemployed and underemployed. Everyone in our community has value. Welcome to Unemployed Workers Fight Back on this, let me just do this, on this, uh, on this Friday the 9th of July, you're with uh, Anne and Kev, Unemployed Workers Fight Back. Hello, Kevin. <laughs> How you doing, Anne? Good to see you back in the chair again. Hey, we're bringing it back to the epicentre, back to Collingwood, Melbourne. <laughs> yeah, yeah, look, we haven't done, uh, we haven't done a live show um, for quite some time because we've been pre-recording. You probably didn't notice because, you know, it was all, yeah, all so we're slick. so polished. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, you're polished when you pre-record because you get a chance to edit out all the mistakes. But now, we, now we're live, so it's all yeah. a lot more fun. Hey, that was the um, Warumpi Band. Uh, Warumpi Band, I love the Warumpi Band. Uh, they... They were around a lot during the eighties. I, um, I used to do some work with uh, with hunters and collectors back in the day, and I remember we um, we did a show with Midnight Oil, and, and I swapped T-shirts with somebody from Midnight Oil and a Midnight Oil Warumpi Band uh, white fella, black fella T-shirt, and it is my prize, absolute prize, uh, old T-shirt in the back <laughs> of my cupboard, which I. Uh, I knew you'd have a story for that song. Just knew it. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, but we're be bad. I don't know. They're, they're very. You know, at the end of the the, the other song they do is uh, "My Island Home," and everybody knows Christine Arnoux's version of that. Mm-hmm. But they wrote it. You know, it's it's their song, and and, oh, okay. and their stuff just feels real. I I love it. Yeah. So so because it's Nad- Nadoc week. Nadoc so, week. So yeah. all I'm playing is is uh, First Nations music, uh, uh, Indigenous music. Um, and it had me thinking during the week, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a white guy and I'm trying to figure out your identity the whole time. And I reckon if you're, if you're uh, non-Indigenous, if you're not mm-hmm. First Nations and you live in Australia, your, your identity is always an issue because, like, we haven't been living in, on this continent for, quite, for a long time. Mm-hmm. Like, and so, so I kind of try and trace my origins back and uh, I've got some Irish stuff happening and I've got some German stuff happening. Scotty was doing that recently, wasn't he? Hey, Scotty. <laughs> Sorry, I'm running through a graveyard recently. I think somewhere. <laughs> oh, I don't want to. Don't, I, don't, I don't want to do what's. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. But it, it, it sort of occurred to me, and I, I guess this is the point of things like Nadoc Week. Is mm. if we're talking about identity, mm. well, 
I'm born here, mm-hmm. and my family was born here, and we haven't been here for very long compared to mm. First Nations people. But mm. apparently, I'm a, I think it's I'm looking at some dodgy map, and I think I'm Bunwarung, Bunwarung man. Oh. I'm not a proud Bunwarung man. I'm a bit of an ashamed Bunwarung man, <laughs> but I'm a Bunwarung man all the same because <laughs> going what, by the map, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so what NADOC week and and this this awareness brings is, I think to myself, well, this is this is where I'm from. I got to find out. Um, mm. I got to find out more about where I'm from and connect more with where I'm mm-hmm. from. I got to, I got to do some homework. I got to, mm. I got to improve my, um, uh, improve my mm-hmm. knowledge and my connection. So, yeah, uh, and I got a lot of work to do. Yeah, so. we all have our stories, don't we? And, and I have to say, my story is uh, having been born where there is now a uh, shopping mall. <laughs> so I was born where the the QV is, the Queen Vickers. Oh, righty, yeah, yeah, yeah. And my mum tells the story of how. Um, they had enclosed a veranda for part of the maternity ward, and so the floor of it actually sloped downwards. No, right. sloped upwards. Right. So she was. Pu- she reckoned she was pushing, pushing <laughs> extra hard, pushing uphill. She's been pushing uphill ever since, probably. Yeah. <laughs> you know, everyone has their stories, don't they? So you can imagine, yeah. like, if you've got, you know, your mother's mother and your mother's mother mother and your mother's mother's mother was here. You yeah. know, so many stories. Yeah, but I reckon we whiteies, we gotta we gotta sort out our, our connection to country. We gotta mm. start. Like, um, uh, I think that's the respectful thing to do, and I think we've got to do a lot more, a lot more homework on that sort of thing. So. Uh, you know, I'm going to get stuck into that. Um, now, what are we going to talk about this weekend? What's the... Hey, well, how about last night? Were you... Um, did you manage to get... I don't know how you say it. Did you get to the Zoom webinar? <laughs> did you manage to drop into the Zoom webinar that was uh, on the on the Modern Money Australia calendar last night? Yeah, no, I, I did. And, and I found it... Um, uh, uh, we had Luke McGregor and Bill Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Um, so Luke is uh, known as a stand-up comedian, and he's the star of the Rosehaven TV show on the ABC. And we had him on our show, the yeah. previous show. Yeah, um, you, you tracked him down for an interview, which we put on our show yeah. a couple of weeks ago. He's great to speak with. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and uh, and then you got Bill Mitchell. So now now Luke is a trained economist. Um, but he's primarily a comedian, mm-hmm. um, whereas Bill is just a, a brainiac professor of economics uh, who has a he whole, is. who's been f- f- swimming upstream with mm-hmm. his brand of economics for decades, and, yeah. and now it's people are going, hang on, uh, this guy sounds like he knows what he's talking about because he does. Exactly. Yeah, uh, we've seen it last year. Some of the things that uh, modern monetary theory, which is the school of economic thought that Bill founded. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting watching the interaction between Bill and Luke because Luke. Very much defers, and, and he goes, righty okay. So I studied economics, and I learned all this stuff, but there are all these holes, and mm-hmm. and and dude, you're filling all the holes yeah, for me. You yeah, know? yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's great to see. And in fact, I was thinking how Luke reminded us last night. He was saying how what a paradigm shift it is for people, and you kind of forget after you've sort of been swimming around in MMT for a while, you sort of forget that it is such a paradigm shift to think about how taxpayer money does not fund government spending because we all just assume that it does because we're led to believe that you know? oh yeah i mean it's sort of like it makes sense um it's got to be paid for out of somewhere where's the money come from and everybody thinks well it comes from the taxpayers well and then and then you find out and this this is one of the crucial things about uh, mmts you find out that the money doesn't come from taxpayers mm-hmm. that it comes from the currency issuing sovereign government exactly um, you know and that's such a liberating thought for me i think uh, you know they were asking luke sort of if he had an mmt aha moment and I can't remember, I think it was a gradual thing for me, like Luke was saying it was for him, but I do remember th- remember how liberating it was when I was on the 
unemployment benefit, which is paid out by the currency sovereign sovereign currency issuer. And I, it was Being so government. liberating to find out that it wasn't a bunch. You know, I wasn't I wasn't scrounging off these taxpayers anyway. You know? Yeah, yeah. No, like I I was on un- unemployment benefits a while ago, and I remember my brother who was in the army, uh-huh. and and is quite right wing, right wing was giving me um, grief, going, "Yeah, my taxes are paying for your yeah. for your you know unemployment benefits." Yeah. Well, a he was wrong, and b even if he was right, he's in the army. Who do you think's paying his way? <laughs> <laughs> and he got paid more than I did. <laughs> so. Oh, well, you had MMT to, to go, get back at him now. Yeah. And, you know, and, and so the other thing, that's one of the big sort of, I think, head shifts you, you, you need to do with modern monetary theory. And it's so liberating when you get there. And also, um, you know, then you start to realise as well that this scary thing that's known as the government debt is not actually a debt in the way we usually think of a debt being. It's not something that the nation has to pay back. <laughs> no, no, it's something, it, it, it's just a, an accounting tool to do other things. And we've spoken quite extensively about how the debt equals bonds equals monetary policy. And it's quite confusing, but all you need mm. to know is that it's not, it's not necessary to fund government spending. Yeah. And what I think would be good to talk about tonight, Anne, would be hmm. to take that kind of sliding doors approach to the economy and rather than being constrained by debt, which is what conservatives have used as a as a weapon against uh, government involvement in the economy for decades, hmm. um, they say that, uh, oh, you can't spend because you're, you're running up the debt. Well, we've talked about that quite a lot, but let's just say that that's not relevant. Mm-hmm. Debt is not uh, a debt what you and I don't pay for it, it comes from somewhere else so then what is the constraint on spending mm, good and, question and why can't we just spend left right and center as much as we want <laughs> well be- because it could become inflationary right oh, because yes. <laughs> because if you spend uh, in the wrong way and in the wrong areas you'll affect prices and you you might cause inflation and mm-hmm. uh, so so what would be good to explore this week on the show mm-hmm. is what would happen if you spent money and you pumped it into the economy and you spent it on things like, let's say you spent it on public housing or you spent it on aged care, all these things that we we think that uh, need spending, but we say we can't because we can't afford can't to. Can't afford it. Well, we mm. can. And and I always like, it, I think this is really relevant, needs to be really uh, drawn out every time, is that this uh, this discussion never uh, occurs with with military spending with with, with defence. Mm-hmm. For some reason, it's <laughs> always like, oh no, you can spend as much as you like on on the uh, on the military. I, mm-hmm. I, don't, I can't even remember what it was. I think it's about ten billion dollars a year they're spending on defence at the moment. Don't quote me on that. I could be wrong. I haven't checked my figures, mm-hmm. but it's it's a significant amount of money, right? Mm-hmm. So so why doesn't it cause inflation? Why why is that okay? Why can we spend? so much money consistently on things which blow other people up and and the rest of it. Mm. Uh, And that's regardless of the ethics of whether that's the right or wrong thing to do. Mm -hmm. Why is that not inflationary when if we spend it on on public housing, that is inflationary? Excellent question. (laughs) (laughs) As Bill says, modern monetary theory, it it, um, blows their cover. (laughs) Yeah, indeed, indeed. So um, let's have a little think about that. I'll just, uh, just, uh, we'll just. You're listening to to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet, www.3cr.org.au. So, Anne, if if I was a government and I went, radio, I'm going to spend a bucket load of money on public housing. Mm -hmm. 
now what's going to happen? Okay, so so debt's not an issue because because debt we we just pay it back like we pay JobKeeper and JobSeeker. That's quantitative easing. We're going to have that discussion some other time. <laughs> but if the government if the government uh, the government measures its debt in bonds and then the government is buying its own bonds, we know that even by their own standards, it's it's a, a circular ridiculous argument. So right. forget about. I know I keep on going back to it, but <laughs> just just trust me on that one. Listen to one of our podcasts. And we'll yeah, we, yeah. Listen to half a dozen of our podcasts, and we'll explain to you why that's not an issue. Right. So so the government. Decides. Okay, we're going to we're going to build. Let's say they're on board with some spending now. And they're going, we've got a homeless problem, and we're going to spend just just a truckload of money on mm-hmm. on public housing. Mm-hmm. What's the implication? What happens then? So then they're going to have to find a whole lot of concrete. Oh, they're going to have to find a bit of land. Yeah. Whole lot of concrete and steel. Yeah. Whole lot of construction workers. Yeah. Put them all together and start raising houses. So. If we've got a growing population, that's going to happen anyway, right? Through the through the private sector, they're going to they're going to build houses mm-hmm. because, and we've been doing this for for decades. So so we know we can do it because we've been doing it. Through, mm. We know that we've got we can find the materials, we can find building materials uh, and the land, mm. and we can put the infrastructure in, and we can find people to do it. Mm. So what's the problem if the government does it? What, what's that going to do to... How is it different from a developer doing it? Yeah. I mean, like, if the resources are available, what happens if the government decides to build a whole bunch of public housing as opposed to the private sector building just, just private housing? What's that going to... How's it going to affect inflation? How's it going to affect uh, the economy? Well, they might end up competing with the private sector for those same construction workers if there's not enough construction workers to... to to build all of the buildings that are going on. Rightio, yeah. So, okay, so the implication of that would be the government directly employs, or even indirectly, who knows, like they, they do it through one of those PP things, PP partnerships or whatever it is. <laughs> but in any case... Well, they wouldn't even have to do a PPE because they only do that because they think they have to get the money out of the private sector to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, but let's let's even say they went into a partnership with the private sector and we said we're going to use this building company to build all this public housing. Mm. And that creates a shortage of of, uh, of tradies and workers to build private sector housing, which means if you want to build a private sector house, you're going to have to pay more for labour to get right. that job. So that's mm-hmm. going to put the price of of, uh, of private housing up to build. Right. So that might stop people in the private sector from building because they can't afford it. Mm-hmm. So, th- so then you'll have a depletion of housing stock in the private sector mm-hmm. because of the inflationary pressure of the government you are using tradies mm-hmm. and you'll have an increase of the housing stock in the public sector mm-hmm. uh, and then you'll end up with less people on the streets less people in low common low uh, socioeconomic uh, insecure rent, housing insecure rentals yeah and you could even do what they what they've done before which is where you have these uh, if you're in the public sector you so if you're if you're in public housing you can pay off your house over time mm-hmm. as opposed to just renting it the Paid whole time. Uh, rent to own situation. Yeah, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. I know I know um, I know a family that um, that did that from down near Mornington Way in the Pines and they and he ended up uh, buying his own public housing house and then ended mm-hmm. up being a homeowner, you know, mm-hmm. and that was um so so the so does this push the price of housing up or does it push the price of housing down? <laughs> so if your cost of labor is going up and your cost of materials might be going up. Yeah. 
if the government's doing a really big spend, like they're just going hell for leather on it, they're not sort of um, dribbling it out over a few years, they just want to go spend, 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 um, the government can pay whatever it wants. Yeah. So, so it could inflate the price of labour and it could inflate the price of materials, mm. which means the public sector would either have to pay more for, to produce that same product mm-hmm. or just abandon it because it's too expensive. Mm. It's either going to be, it's going to push the, the price of, public, of, of, of private housing up and up Mm-hmm. Or it's just going to make it so ridiculously expensive that they just just abandon ship. Yeah. Well, I think um, don't they say like the cost of private housing um, is whatever the banks are willing to learn, loan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's the bottom line on that. Correct, and you've got to be able to repay the loan. So, mm. so if if you're going to buy a house and uh, buy a block of land and build a house on it and it's becoming really expensive mm. um, and it's beyond your capacity to pay it, mm. well, the bank's not going to give you a loan. So I reckon that – I'm guessing that if the government came in and was competing with the private sector for mm. resources, that it might it might uh, put a pause on the on the private sector right. and private housing. I could be wrong. I mean, mm. I'd like to this get is a... this is Kevin's guess at what might happen. Well, yeah. I mean, look, mm. we know we know a couple of things, and, and mm. you know, we're not claiming to it's be experts. It's an educated guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> like we said it could go either way, um, yeah. and, and no doubt there would be some backfiring mm. in it. But mm. but I reckon the long term effect of that is that if you've got more public housing, you've got less pressure on the bottom end of the housing market in terms of rentals. You've got people off the street. Mm. Um, you've got tradies working, getting paid good money because mm. their prices mm. have gone up mm. because of um, the inflationary effects of the government going in there. It's um, If you took also, I'm thinking, if you took out a whole lot of your rental market, so people go out of the private rental market into, into public housing, yeah, then you'd have all those vacancies. Like they would turn into vacant... Um, buildings yes. and so then that might actually drive the price of housing down as well. Well your rental prices are going to drop because um, people are going to be leaving the private rental market and going into public housing hmm. so there's less demand on your rental properties which yeah. means if you have an investment property and you're depending on the rental income to pay for it hmm. that's going to be worth less and so that would be I, I don't know I, I can see uh, a case where that would put a lot of downward pressure on Rental, on the rental market, on the housing market, and and bring it back to where it was, where we used to be able to afford to buy a house. Anybody mm. could afford to buy a house in this country. When I bought, you know, I did. I bought a house once. <laughs> I don't have it anymore. Mm. When I bought it, I was working as a casual theatre technician. Yeah. And my partner at the time was working as a youth worker, and and we were not what you'd call, um, you know, big earners. Um, mm. But but um, we could afford to buy a house. Now that was that was only a couple of decades ago, and and it's changed over that time to the situation now where that that concept is just unthinkable. Right, right, yeah. So there's um, I mean, it's a complex issue, and I'd really like to uh have a have a look at it in in depth more because uh, solving homelessness and solving housing affordability are two slightly different things. Um, and of course, what people are saying, what you often hear, um, including from the renegade economist here on 3CR as well, is that, um, it's not the cost of construction that's gone up over the last 20, 30 years. It's actually the cost of land that's yeah, gone up. Yeah. And that is a, one of the big rorts in this country. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. 
So, you know, it's not just the... The government does need to use what the economists call its fiscal capacity, which means its capacity to tax and to spend in order... It could take control of this crazy housing bubble um, using its fiscal capacity, but it also needs to use a bit of regulation as well around property and property development. Yeah, yeah, and also, you know, change the ridiculous taxes that say that if you um, buy a, an investment property, you're going to get all these tax breaks. And so oh, it, yes. it just, it just, I mean, these are, these are, are simple things that could have been done. And uh, I think it was Bill Shorten was touching on this at the last election. It didn't mm. go very well for him because everybody that owns a house doesn't want to see their house <laughs> drop in price, even though it, it, it doesn't drop in price unless you're selling it. Right. So if you're just living in the house, Mm-hmm. It you know it's, yeah, yeah, it's a bit ridiculous. Yeah. Anyway, let's have a bit of a think about that, Anne. I'm just going mm. to. Play. I like playing what if with MMT. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's good. It's good. It, it's good. You can because there's other other things that we can apply this this to as well. Sure. But we're going to have a, a bit of a listen to King Stingray, uh-huh. who who I believe King Stingray uh, is from Northern Territory. Uh, I saw him play at Meadow Music Festival a little while ago, right. um, and I think they have some connection with Yothu Yindi. But uh, terrific. Uh, but good band. So here's uh, King Stingray with uh, Get Me Out. listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. You're listening to Unemployed Workers Fight Back, a show all about the economics and experience of unemployment and underemployment here on 3CR Community Radio. Yeah, so that was uh, King Stingray with uh, Get Me Out um, and... uh, we're talking about this week about what are we talking about? What, what happens if, if we actually spend the money? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, we're playing spend the money, sort of like doing a sports fraud, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So, so what happens? What happens? Okay. So we t- we talked about the housing market, and mm. and there's going to be implications because inflation occurs not you you, you can't uh, inflation doesn't occur just by money. Like if you have a lot of money, we've talked about this before on another yes. show. It only occurs if. There's a usually if there's a scarcity of something that everyone wants, and also there's somebody supplying it who's jacking up the price. So you've got to get those two dynamics going, as well as somebody who's willing to pay more for something. So yeah. just by the government spending isn't necessarily going to create inflation. In fact, I hear the economists all the time, they say, uh, that any kind of spending has an inflation risk, which means any kind of spending could get itself into that inflation scenario of um, not enough of the stuff and somebody jacking up the price and so on. So private sector spending can be inflationary and government spending can be inflationary. Yeah, it's funny how the uh, the uh, conservative governments don't understand how the private sector can affect, uh, affect inflation as well. <laughs> um, I, I liked the example that we talked about a while ago, which is to say if you went on a barley holiday and you go to the markets and you got, 
your, your dollar is worth a lot more than mm-hmm. it is in Australia, mm-hmm. and uh, you go t- you go uh, looking for a T-shirt. Just because you've got a lot more money in your pocket doesn't right. mean you're going to start paying more for your T-shirt. You're not going <laughs> to suddenly say, hey, I've got a lot of money, I'm going to start giving it away. There has to be a supply-side squeeze. So yes. so if the T-shirts started to become unavailable, like there was a, a they, they couldn't print T-shirts in Bali anymore and you wanted a T-shirt from Bali mm. and you had a lot of money in your pocket and all of a sudden they became scarce, mm. then you might start paying more for it. But mm. whilst there's plenty of T-shirts, doesn't matter how much money you've got in your pocket, you're not going to pay anything more than you have to. Yeah. So that's, and what that's, about the bananas in Bali? Like what if the local population is seeing an influx of tourists who can pay whatever they want with bananas? And there was a cyclone the year before and there weren't enough bananas and the tourists all come in and they're buying up the bananas, <laughs> then you might get an inflation on bananas that the locals couldn't afford the bananas. Yeah. Yeah, mm. we, we, had, we actually had, um, uh, we had inflation go up because of um, bananas a few years ago. I don't, do you remember this? There was, yeah, Queensland had a banana shortage. Yeah, mm. there was a cyclone and it wiped out all the banana crops and so there was a scarcity of bananas. Now, bananas are one of the things that they use when they measure inflation. They, <laughs> they use all these household <laughs> products and, and bananas was one of them. And because the price of bananas went up, there, there was this inflationary spike. Spike in the CPI. <laughs> Crazy stuff. Yeah. So anyway, it's always on the ground. You've got to be on the ground and say, what exactly is going on here? So you've got to say there was a particular cyclone in a particular place ruining a particular crop. But it wasn't just the government spending that causes inflation. You no, can't just well, say that. Well, that had nothing to do with the government spending. Mm. Okay, so now uh, aged care. We, we, aged know, care. we know it's been in the news a lot recently and we know that aged care is underfunded. Um, that, Stupidly uh, underfunded. There aren't Criminally enough, underfunded. Yeah, yep. there's not enough workers and they're not getting paid enough. They're getting paid the minimum wage. I think it's about 20 bucks an mm-hmm. hour. Um, so they're having to work multiple jobs in different aged care centres. We've figured out in COVID as, yeah. as things happen. Yep. Yeah, it's not like they can just work at one aged care facility. They're all on such minimal wages that they've got to, uh, and they're on casual uh, employment. So they've got to move from this aged care facility to that aged care facility, which is how we had the spread of COVID. Mm. So what would happen if the government said, rightio, um, we're just going to pump a whole bunch of money into aged care. We're going to start paying our aged care workers uh, a lot more money. We're going mm-hmm. we're going to pay them 35 bucks an hour, mm-hmm. which is not... You know, not <laughs> it's not astronomical. We're not talking about it's astronomical wages here. Yeah. Just say 35 bucks an hour. Yeah. Um, uh, what's the first thing that happens there? is that you're going to get a lot more people interested in becoming aged care workers mm-hmm. um, because uh, it's paying better and they'll, they'll be able to afford to live um, better. So so you have, a, a, is this a bit cruel to say, you have an improvement of the, I don't know, it is probably the wrong thing to say. But <laughs> Karen's about to say the wrong thing. <laughs> well, I mean, like it's kind of like saying if you're only getting paid 20 bucks an hour, you're only worth 20 bucks an hour, and that's just not the case because there's oh, plenty no, of aged no, care no, workers. No, 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 yeah. they're so undervalued. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But then, but then, you, you, more people are going to want to become aged care workers. Yeah, and so, yeah. Uh, so it becomes in a more attractive field to go and work in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and if you can have more aged care workers per uh, head of population in a facility. Hmm. Um, yeah, they, they, the one thing they didn't do in the last budget was they didn't talk about the staff to patient ratios or staff to resident ratios. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, okay. So the government then pays their aged care workers uh, a decent hourly rate and mm-hmm. employs more of them. Mm-hmm. What happens? What happens? What happens to inflation there? <laughs> is, 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 is it... So now your workers are earning more. Yeah. And so that they can go out, they could go out to a restaurant twice a week instead of once a month or something. Yeah. They can um, buy nicer clothes for themselves and their kids. They might want to upgrade their car. They might 
Yeah, they might want to decide to drive instead of take transport. They might decide that they can finally afford a down payment on a house. So what's going on there? Well, <laughs> we're seeing the economy have positive effects on, on, the, um, uh, on the ground floor of the economy. What do you mm. call it? The retail sector of the economy. Mm -hmm. it's, it's going to pick up. Stimulate the economy. Um, one other thing that might happen, Anne, is that you might find that your aged care residents are getting a much better quality of service. Oh, hey, there's a point. <laughs> I'm starting to get turned into one of those, uh, uh, what is it, those cold-hearted economists that Cold just look at the... <laughs> <laughs> just, just the money side of things. That's right. So, so, so we've, seen, we've seen that our, our aged care residents are getting a better quality of service. Mm. Um, uh, local communities are having more money sp spent. Um, mm. uh, people are changing their tyres more often. They're upgrading mm -hmm. their fridge because it's not That's big right. enough. They're going out for, for dinner mm -hmm. more often. Mm -hmm. So all of the businesses are doing well. Uh, am I seeing any inflation out of this? Is it is it pushing not the price? Yeah, I haven't up? seen any inflation. It's not coming at me yet. No, no. I mean because uh, all you might see is that uh, if if that now is going to attract more workers, you might find people in the gig economy. Some of your your Uber delivery drivers or people who are scraping by trying to uh, make ends meet mm -hmm. might decide that they might want to go and become an aged care worker. Mm -hmm. So you might find that your Uber deliveries uh, become a little bit short-staffed <laughs> and those prices might have to go up. And I've got You have to wait like two hours for your pizza. <laughs> yeah, I have no problem with that. I reckon if you're – like that is a race to the I'll bottom. i tell you, you what, the, undermining the gig economy, I'd be, be more than happy to do that. Yeah, yeah. you know, like if you've got to pay uh, – uh, you might have a, a, a – what would you call it, a byproduct – it's not it's not inflationary too. We've got to we've got to remember this because mm. inflationary is when the price continues to increase and increase and, and increase. increase. It doesn't just go up once; it goes up over time regularly, yeah, up and up. And we like to have inflation sitting at around two to three percent. We've mm. talked about that having a forward lean on the economy because mm -hmm. it, it it actually promotes some activity, which is to be good for society. I'm not making a value judgment on that. There's the, like, there could be a discussion about whether that's necessary. Mm -hmm. But let's just say that it's a it, it's better than having a flat economy and it's better than having an economy going in reverse. Right. So there's a forward lean on, on the economy of 2 to 3%. That's regarded as a, as a healthy rate. When we, when we talk about an inflationary uh, uh, incident, or it, it's, it's when... We're really talking about accelerating inflation is usually considered the problem, not just inflation itself. Yeah, and, it, and it's moving beyond that 2 to 3% rate. Mm. So all we're going to see by increasing the wages for aged care is some gig workers who are earning crap money just trying to scrape by. Mm. Getting a decent job with good paying conditions. So that's an adjustment. Mm. That's not inflation. <laughs> that's an, an adjustment. That's, that's a uh, that's a correction. Here's, here's some hair splitting, but we need to know distinctions here. Yeah, because because what's going to happen is it, you'll have a correction, a one-off mm -hmm. correction, when you'll have some people on insecure gig economy work uh, mm. putting mm. themselves in the in the mm. aged care stuff, and that will happen once, and then it's done, yep. and, and it will stabilise. It has to it has to come along with a bit of planning because you've got to plan your training of all these staff that are suddenly going to come in and be needed. And I was thinking too, because we did that uh, episode about universal childcare as well, and I was thinking um, a lot of people might um, make the decision about, they'd be sitting there thinking, do I want to go in, if I want to be in the caring, caring industry, do I, do I want to be caring for young children or do I want to be caring for the elderly? And so you might find com competition between, say, your childcare sector and your aged residential sector 
if there were not enough staff, if the government suddenly, you know, was advertising for another 200,000 people or something. Yeah, but but look, we've got um, an inflated unemployment rate anyway. Mm. I mean, we, we, and people keep on talking about natural employment as if, uh, as if the current definition of natural employment mm-hmm. makes any sense, and it doesn't because the natural rate of employment that, uh, that we have at the moment <laughs> is based on keeping inflation in check. Nothing not, natural about it. <laughs> not, not, to, not that there's a, 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 there's a surplus of uh, available workers, mm. but it's, it's measured by like how many people do you sacrifice to the unemployment heap to to keep mm. inflation under control. Mm. So there's a fair amount of there's a fair amount of uh, what your depth in the unemployment pool to fill a lot of these positions anyway. A certain amount. We've probably got at least over 10% underemployment at the moment. I can't remember how many thousands and millions of hours of people looking for work. So, I mean, it, it just takes, that's where you need to get your people on the ground, your economists who would actually, they would go and interview, they would go and talk to people who are running aged care um, facilities and they would say, whereabouts in Australia are they? Where do we need them? Do we have the pop- working population living in those areas? So they'd have to do a bit of microeconomics as well yeah, um, to figure out how much spending they want to do um, to get the, you know, to get the aged care, the actual care <laughs> in there that we want and also at what levels of training too. So whether you've got, you know, um, staff, whether you've got nursing staff and so on. Yeah, but yeah, what else they've done, or what, what, what we've been doing in this country for the last couple of decades very much under the radar is if we run out of workers in Australia, mm. we can import them. <laughs> and that's yeah. what we've been doing for the last 10 or 20 mm. years, not to fill the gap. That's been used to put downward pressure on, on wages. wages. Yeah. So rather than using the importation of labour to put downward pressure on wages, how about we use the importation of labour to uh, round out our aged care services, mm. our childcare services? Like if we run out of Australian workers, <laughs> I think there's enough buffer stock of unemployed people in the mm. rest of in, in the rest of this neoliberal world, mm. to to mm. fill that gap, mm. I, I don't think you'd have any problem finding mm. them. Yeah, it's such a it's such a crime when you see a need coupled with people looking for work. It, you can put the two together quite. If you have a well-run economy, you can put the two together and solve both problems. And you know, I was thinking also going back to that issue of why we're not seeing inflation when everyone's um, earning a decent living now working in aged care, and it's also because. We've got this high rate of what they call private sector debt. So we say that the government, the Nash, the, the government debt is not a problem, but the private sector debt is a problem. And that's because we've, we've, everyone's run up their credit cards and so on. And so I think Australia's got one of the highest, um, debt ratios in the private sector in the OECD. And so what would happen if you started paying everyone a decent wage for, for good work is that they'd start paying down their debts. Yeah. So and you wouldn't get inflation because people are paying off their debts. They're paying off their debts and they're also spending more into the economy, like we said mm. before. They've got more money in their pocket. So the, so the, the businesses that have got high debt, they're going to be, um, it, it flows right through. Mm. And so uh, it works for everybody. Mm. This is a really good idea. Right? <laughs> We should just start our own. Um, Do you I reckon Josh Frydenberg's listening yeah. to this? Because we've got some really good ideas going down here. <laughs> Come on, Josh. <laughs> hey, um, you know, I was thinking too. Have you ever, have you ever heard that um, that old saying that every society is three meals away from chaos? No, I haven't. <laughs> 
can, can I, I, I've got to give my brain a bit of a rest. Sure. And, you know, because we're, we're going from topic to topic. Now, if my brain is, is needs a bit of a rest, maybe some of the listeners do as well. Yeah. Got, it's Friday evening. People yeah. are just coming home from work and it's been. So when we get back, we'll yeah. find out who said that. I want to hear about mm-hmm. this thing of yours yeah, yeah. In, in, uh, in, in a few minutes. subscription make a donation or pass on some information to a programmer we can't get to the phone all the time right now but we're still here you can call us on 03 94198377 each weekday between 1 and 5 p.m and talk to a staff member that's 03 94198377 3cr community radio here to stay You're on uh, Unemployed Workers Fight Back with Anne and Kev. Uh, and what what were we talking about, Anne? You were talking about <laughs> being three meals away from something. I tell you what, Friday night. Yeah. Yeah. No, you know, I often, um, often hear this kind of doomsday speak around the economy. Um, and an example I came across recently was um, the National Australia Bank, the NAB, does research. And they were found that, pre-COVID that half of all working Australians are living payday to payday. So you often hear that sort of doomsday speak that people are just one paycheck away from, you know, going down the gurgler. And it kind of just reminded me of that other saying that, you know, every society is only three meals away from chaos. (laughs) Yeah. And it was actually, I was looking that up online because I was thinking about it and it was actually uh, Lenin. In, over there in Russia, <laughs> who so, said that? So this isn't a new idea? <clears throat> no, it's an old idea. And and I was also, so then I had to look it up, and of course the first person to come up with this idea was this journalist in 1896, um, an American journalist, Alfred Henry Lewis, who was a lawyer, journalist and novelist, and he wrote that the only barrier between us and anarchy is the last nine meals we've had. The last nine meals, so three, three days. So he's giving it three days, and Lennon gave it one day. One day. Well, I guess like if your security is pulled out from underneath you, then um, uh, then all order is going to be lost, really, isn't it? If you yeah. can't if you can't afford to if you, if your meal is gone, mm. then uh, then all order is lost. Yeah, uh, yeah. So you got to keep the masses fed. Yeah. But then I was thinking, uh, the reason I bring this up is because I was thinking about how. MMT, Modern Monetary Theory, which is this um, <clears throat> economics that we use, I was thinking how it really does overturn so much of your worldview. And I used to think it was a pretty scary that everyone's living paycheck to paycheck. And then I thought, well, hang on, if we're just worried about where the money comes from, <laughs> we don't have to worry about it anymore. In fact, we saw it last year because, you know, they had to stop the economy during the lockdowns. And so anyone who's living paycheck to paycheck, if you're saying to them, well, sorry, you can't go into work next week, well, what happens? 
the government steps in and foots the bill on all the paychecks. The government steps in and foots the payroll bill for the nation. So we saw it happen. Yeah. It, it, look, it always uh, it always makes me wonder, you know, it, these, you have these world wars and, and things are turned on their head. And I always wonder, how do people survive in those circumstances where mm. their whole, like physically, their their environment has been bombed to the uh, to the absolute shit house and, and, and mm. they've got to, everything's been turned on its head. And, mm. and it, it's like you're not going to be working a regular job because everything's, how do people get by? Under, but they always seem to. Like, mm. well, a lot of them don't, I guess, but that's, that's, uh, that's a tragedy of it. But it was kind of like, um, I remember when you were talking about uh, when you were in the States mm. after, after the GFC. Yeah. And you're walking past all these houses with for sale signs on them, all these empty houses with for sale signs on them. Mm. And just before there were houses with people living in them. And yeah. you go, what happened? What, what are we doing to ourselves to put ourselves in this situation? Uh -huh. It yeah. just, mm -hmm. it's. Yeah, yeah, it sort of reminds me about how last night when we were in that uh, Zoom webinar with Professor Bill Mitchell from the Centre of Full Employment and Equity, and he said, I, I was so thrilled when he said, we don't live in an economy. We've got to remember, we don't live in an economy. We live in a society. So here's an economist reminding everyone that we live in a society. And so what's an economy there for? And he said something, I'm paraphrasing now, but he, he said something like, well, we live in a... The economy is there to transform the natural world into the stuff that humans need to thrive and survive. Yeah, you no, know. So we've got to remember that. <laughs> now, okay. Now I'm going to I'm going to do this NADOC thing, uh, this uh, this First Nations thing, because mm. uh, I'm I'm really interested in finding out about the First Nations economy mm. before we arrive. Now, some people sort of um, balk at that at that kind of phrase because uh, they had a non-monetary uh, society, right? But that is... doesn't mean that they didn't have an economy because they were mm -hmm. still distributing resources yeah, throughout their community. Still... Exactly. Yeah. So, so an economy doesn't necessarily mean that there's a, a, a money trading hands. It's just a mm. matter of how a society distributes its resources. Mm. And we've become so fixated on money that we don't realise that it's that, it's that, just a tool. It's just the tool that we use to distribute resources. Yeah, we've become a slave to to the dollar. Um, mm. You know, uh, against our wills, we were all hamsters in the wheel spinning it over, <laughs> uh, spinning the wheel round and round. Um, and so we think that you know it, it's the almighty economy that society has to fit in with the economy. It's the complete wrong way around. It's mm -hmm. we really need to uh, adjust that mindset. And and when you understand about currency creation mm. and and uh, the, the fiscal capacity of a government to spend, mm. that relationship becomes far more healthy. Yeah, yeah. you yeah. can start to see the possibility to get an economy that works for the people. So that's where you start to see that uh, people who are talking about, and we'll have to have a look at this too, you know, the ecological economics and the the um, donut economics and the regenerative economics. So all of those good things we can take from monetary societies. But I agree with you too. We need to look at how did societies relate to their resources in pre-monetary or non-monetary systems as well. Yeah. Hey, yeah. now this this is this is a little bit um, uh, left field of this, but it's kind of related to it. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've become quite aware, and there's plenty of evid evidence of this, what I'm about to say uh, at the moment, of this laissez-faire uh, economic attitude that conservative governments take. And so let me explain this, yeah, it, which okay. is which, is, and we might have to come back to this at another show because <laughs> this could be quite a, this could be a show all on itself. <laughs> okay. So maybe we'll introduce this and then we might yeah, pick yeah. this up afterwards. But there's a deliberate, uh, a deliberate strategy by conservative governments to have this laissez-faire 
uh, attitude towards the way that they handle things like, say, the NBN rollout mm-hmm. or a vaccination rollout, etc. Oh, yes. Because conservative governments think that the private sector should uh, is the is the engine house of the economy right. and that the government should get out of the way right mm-hmm. that's that's their leave it to the market that's their <laughs> ideology so when it comes to doing things like rolling out the MBN or even a vaccination rollout sometimes they will deliberately sabotage their own program Ooh, yes. just just to prove the government is government no good at doing do this it. stuff. Yeah. And it's not the government's no good at doing it. It's just that they are no good at doing it. Mm. <laughs> their, their conservative governments <laughs> are no good at doing it. You're not starting a, a slight conspiracy theory, eh? <laughs> well, it's not a conspiracy theory, but, but like, have a look at just Scott Morrison and the mm. buddy uh, uh, vaccination rollout. Which has been a complete mess. A completion yeah. model, as was the um, NBN rollout. And, mm. and, they don't mm. think they, that that's their job. They don't think that it's it, it's for them to do. They they think that's for the um, uh, for the private sector to do. And just this week, Scott Morrison was talking up this association, this uh, what do you call it, this partnership between between the business community and um, possibilities for rolling out the vaccine. Like, oh, I didn't hear this. Uh, right, yeah. Oh, so interesting. He, okay. He's talking to. He's sort of saying, like, if you go to Bunnings, they'll have a, um, a vaccinations at Bunnings, and we'll get we'll get West Farmers <laughs> get a sausage and a vaccination. Yeah, get West Farmers involved, and you sort of go, oh yeah, yeah, okay. But just think about what you're doing here, because and and we're talking about a government that is just wrought city. Mm. So you're combining a conservative government mm. with big business mm-hmm. and big pharmaceutical. Mm. To achieve match a pu- made in heaven to achieve yeah. to achieve a public rollout. Now mm. you know. So what they'll do is that they'll, they'll they'll roll out this public program and it won't work. They'll stuff it up. They'll self sabotage and then they'll start funding their mates to mm. give you a I, shot. You, there might be something to that. They might be softening softening us up for for the privatized rollout of the vaccine. I hadn't thought of that. Am I getting too cynical? Oh, very cynical, and and but why not? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, look, I, 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 I just watch that space. You know, yeah, it's really hard to tell when it's actual, real incompetence or pretend incompetence. <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> there is a problem with that because because they are so incompetent that you can't tell whether they're faking or yeah, whether it's real. That's right, and that's that's a bit sad, really, Anne, isn't it? But yeah. we know we know they could afford they could have afforded to spring up dozens of clinics all over the country and give us a proper rollout of the vaccine had they wanted to. As long as we've got the technology, we don't have to worry about how you pay for it, as we keep saying over and over. Yeah, yeah. And and we're just sort of, um, yeah, things just, it's frustrating when you understand that things could be done so much better and people choose not to because of their ridiculous ideology. Mm. Hey, did I back and dance the last song that came on? No, tell us what was it. Oh, that's so bad of me. Oh. That was um, Emma Donovan and the Putbacks um, with uh, with a song called Leftovers, and I love Emma Donovan. <laughs> and the she, she is just like yeah, like, yeah. That like had a nice jazzy feel to it. Funk yeah. city, yeah, oh. like um, uh, really good. I just isn't that terrible? It took, took me so long. I was just <laughs> <laughs> got to get in the groove. Got to let people know they're listening to three CR and they're on eight fifty five AM on their dials. Yes, indeed, indeed. But look, um, and. Uh, we're sort of getting towards the end of the show. We're going to have to go soon um, because... How did that happen? Well, whole well, hour whiling away, getting into the weekend with a bit of easy listening macro. <laughs> it, just, it just always happens. Um, uh, do you know what we've got uh, planned for uh, any forthcoming shows? Any- oh, yes. I'm looking forward to the next show. We're yeah. going to um, actually be speaking to the author of a book called The Game of Mates. Ah, okay. And this is uh, Dr. Cameron Murray who actually specialises, I love this, he specialises in the economics of corruption. 
<laughs> and okay. his book, I'll just quickly say that his book is on the reading list for a two-day seminar that's coming up here in Melbourne. So if you're wanting to explore some of the ideas a little bit more that Kevin and I have been talking about, you can actually do it with the experts because they're coming to Melbourne, uh, including Dr. Stephen Hale, and they'll be running a two-day seminar on the 29th and 28th of August, and you can register. They're making it as accessible as they can, so they've got a low-income price, price range there. And I think if you just Google Sustainable Prosperity Rethinking Capitalism, Rethinking Cap Capitalism is the name of the, uh, name of the seminar, then we'll be looking at things like the Game of Mates that uh, Cameron Murray wrote. Excellent. And uh, we went to a similar conference a couple of years ago in Adelaide, the Sustainable uh, Prosperity. Prosperity Conference, yeah. yeah. Some really good ideas and some really good people. So um, anyway, I think uh, I think it's time for us to step out of here, Anne. So um, uh, until next week, it's until not next week, until a couple of weeks' time. Uh -huh. we'll, we'll see you then. Cheers. See you then. Okay, bye. You've been listening to Unemployed Workers Fight Back. Join us the second and fourth Friday of each and every month as part of The Sewer Show on 3CR. Listen to this show as a podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. We thank all our guests, and I thank you, Anne. And I thank you, Kevin. Oh, no, the pleasure was all mine. Oh, no, Kevin, the pleasure was all mine. You meant all the pleasure was yours? Kevin, I think I took all the pleasure on this one. <laughs> well, if you took all the pleasure, that means I, there's no pleasure for me at all. I, I quite enjoyed myself. So if you took all the pleasure, then what, I had, no, I had no pleasure? I think we should share the pleasure. <laughs> well, we're going to have to share the pleasure because, you know, I, I don't mind you having pleasure, but it's great. You have as much pleasure as you like, but don't take all the pleasure. Well, it was very pleasurable, so I'm glad that it was pleasurable for you and it was You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.